Yeah, we're making power moves, rocking a Detroit groove to some American dudes out making power moves. Straight out of Grand Block, Michigan, rocking a cold one in each hand. My buddy Dave and I are Americans, just making power moves, ripping heaters and chugging paps. Now he lied with no class, blowing shit up and chasing ass. Yeah, we're making power moves. Yeah, we're making power and we're back. Welcome to Power Moves, episode 203, being recorded live here in Saginaw, Michigan, on a beautiful Wednesday morning. Joining me all the way from Los Angeles, California, it's the author of The Perfect Amount of Wrong, available everywhere. From Amazon to Barnes and Noble to maybe your local gas station, it's <laughs> your boy Mike Brado Bridenstine. What's up, pigs? It's your boy. <laughs> I forgot. That's your new catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. What's up, pigs? Are you gonna do that in your book promotions and your shows when you walk out on stage? <laughs> I can't guarantee it, but if, if somebody looks like they might be a Power Moves fan, I will say, what's up, pigs? And I'll <laughs> sign your book. Uh, what's up, pig? I um, I would have definitely done that when I was any sort of anything and immediately lose the crowd. <laughs> I guarantee you, you know me, I would 100% yeah. go on stage What's up, pigs? And then I start digging it deeper. You old fucking pigs, you slopping around. I see oh, you sure. slop I could, pigs. Day three and a half of Portland, I could see Burns uh, strutting up there and saying, what's up, pigs? For a set. <laughs> Bridgetown Festival, yeah. day three. I um, uh, One of my buddies talked about Gallagher the other day, and I had, I had to inform him that Gallagher turned into a wildly racist comedian towards the end yeah like yeah <laughs> and i told him about hanging outside that big theater in portland yes after i've yes. done some show and i'm up yeah. there having like a cocktail and gallagher's on the street and he's selling like uh lunch bag size bags of frito-lay chips to people for like a buck which is bizarre behavior for someone yeah. to do. And then he, I, I chit-chat with him because it's fucking Gallagher, and he's engaging yes. with me and like wants to talk to me. Yes. And then he starts telling me super racist Obama jokes, like street jokes. He told jokes. me, he said Obama is a African-American, which, and, I, and I literally turned to him and I go, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it just was... I have I had no response, no response whatsoever. I think I just kind of turned. I grew around. up with, it. yeah. I grew up loving those specials, like the giant trampoline uh, couch one would be on TV, and I maintain that like his second special is like his first special even is really good. Sure. Yeah. There's a reason it wasn't just the gimmick. It was that he. No. Imagine a guy coming out. That you've never seen before and he does like one-liners and like 
rants about like why do they call it uh school when it should be shul like it's just like it was like observational stuff like that but he comes out i still think about his jokes by the way he's like it's my he's like it's my yellow i paid for it with my green like when he does like a turn i think of a gallagher joke like way too often but imagine a guy is doing like run-of-the-mill or i guess new at the time observational jokes and at the end of his set like unannounced he brings out a fucking watermelon put yourself at little joy at the lincoln lodge at fucking at, at like telephone bar some motherfucker brings out a watermelon whole room burns. would be destroyed and and a sledgehammer and goes and then we gotta smash it sledgehammer yeah and he and he's like um he has a spiel he does before it it would be the greatest thing ever. Oh yeah, except for that, you would never be able to perform there again. Because no, you would. It's it would be like okay, Dickie show mess. is over. Yeah. Can you imagine? You would have to get and bring a watermelon plus a giant sledgehammer to every show, and then somehow hide that for the reveal later. He has estimated in certain specials. He goes grocery shopping in one of his specials. Why do I know this? Okay, one of the first episodes of Hunk. I interviewed the documentary, this guy, Josh Forbes, who is, was, and I don't know where it is, but he's, he was making a documentary about Gallagher. So he was traveling with Gallagher and he was like, you know, interacting with him. And of course, Gallagher is dead now, but like, so I realized that 13 Gallagher specials are on Tubi for free. And so I started watching them and I became like immediately fascinated. Like it Tubi he keeps Tubi going. doesn't give a fuck. Tubi Tubi's a lawless venture. No, we have all yeah. the Gallagher specials. All of them. Tubi Tubi had nothing but Gallagher specials. Like 13 of them. That's how Tubi started. Tubi was just all Gallagher specials, and then they uh, <laughs> increased their content. What, that's how Showtime started was like HBO had Carlin Showtime was putting out Ga like a Gallagher special a year throughout the 80s and he had to and it was like a, to always did he always close with Sledgeomatic is that oh yeah is that, every, is that to, everyone yeah and it gets progressively grosser and meaner like he becomes bitter about the fact that he was had to do it and how the crowd was just there for the dumb shit because he wanted to talk about, you know, serious shit. Like <laughs> he considered himself like an intellectual. He considered himself like high IQ. Like he wanted to be like, we should save the environment. He did stuff about that. But then towards the end of it, he's like, and then he, like there's a big map of America. And he's like, and then here, here's for, um, um, we got to uh, put some food on here to symbolize this area of the country. And he gets refried beans out of a can and slops it onto there. And he's just like, there's all the beans for all the Mexicans. Jesus and it's just like, God. Jesus. And he's like, and hey, look, it's um, rice for San Francisco. And then he's like, don't forget the gays. And he's like, does like a gay voice. It's fucking like. Bugs Bunny era racism. <laughs> Early Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah, like wild. Like his like every now and then he would throw in a thing that was like, you know how all the buses are busting all the wrong kids to the wrong schools. 
like a fucking anti-integration joke. <laughs> I don't know how to. Fr- <laughs> I, I don't know how to phrase this. Do you think that the smash in the watermelon thing had some really oh, serious oh, racial no, undertones? I just, I, I, that, no, I don't think. <laughs> I think he started. He's. I read that he started with apples. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Be, I think I would. I honestly. Okay, I know what you're saying. There, but I, think I know that, you know what you're saying. It's not. No, it's like right, it's right, right there. But, it's right there. I can't not say. It. I can't not bring I, that out. I believe that he. It's just the largest thing that smashes big. Yeah, I know. It it totally makes sense. But the trajectory of what his uh, viewpoints in comedy started to slowly lean towards, it would make sense that uh, it used to be something like, and here's what I think about black people. (laughs) I mean, which is a lot lot less uh, um, inviting to the audience. And endearing than being it's the Sledgeomatic three thousand and here I dude there was a special here's what I think about your black people food yeah there's a special that he has like a full set that's like a sailboat and he swings on a rope over the audience's head and he wears like a muscle suit there was like peak Gallagher is like 1987 it's like. Anyway, so it th- so it's like 2013, and he's standing outside of a theater selling Fritos because he got too racist. Like he, no, and no one wanted it anymore. And people were like, they treated him like he was a joke. You well, know, like they, he they invited him to that festival because yeah Gallagher, and it was like a good get, and it was fun. Like, oh my god, I'm in this like medium-sized festival in portland and like gallagher's here you can see him on a podcast you can go see his stand-up like what's this old man doing that i remember from my childhood and then i remember yeah. he did some podcast and the whole podcast he was just more oh, racist right. than a midwestern great-grandfather in 1967 I w- yeah i want to say he did jordan morris's podcast and then like uh a- like we can't put this out <laughs> Yeah, he like said heinous shit or something. And then he's like Paul Goebbels television podcast. And they were just like, wow. Yeah, he was. Uh, every, and everybody had the same picture with him. I took a picture with him and he just made the same face. And you had a picture with him and he made the same face. And we all started comparing our photos. One of my favorite pictures from that weekend is everyone holding up their phone, having the same picture with Gallagher. Yes. Yeah. Everyone had one. Everyone had to get one because it's a it's a picture of phones. People holding up phones and showing their Gallagher <laughs> picture. That's funny. I have. I don't think the Gallagher photo, after all the extreme racism came out, I think I don't have that on social media anymore anywhere. And I also had a, a photo from the Nashville comedy conference or whatever with uh, Oh NACA, Yes. With, yeah. Ron, with Ron Jeremy. Oh boy, that would not age well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he um, he had some sexual assault charges or something. I'm like, well, that's fu- uh, come on. I got a picture with the hedgehog. Well, we can say that we can say that about Gallagher. Never got me tooed. No, I think he was too upfront. I think if you're so obvious, he's like, hey, baby, I want to smash. <laughs> 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 it's his joke, not mine. <laughs> African. I want to smash Africans. <laughs> That's his new special. 
<laughs> Smashing. <laughs> he died uh, pretty recently. Um, I asked him to be on my podcast and he responded and he said, I will do your podcast. If you can get me in contact with Scott Disick from keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> that was his answer. What? Yes. He told me he would do hunk with Mike Bridenstine. If I got him in contact with Scott Disick, what? I don't even know if I'm saying his name, right? Do you want to, he wanted him or to, something? <laughs> I don't know. He wanted to, he just, he said he wrote a poem about him and he wanted to show him. <laughs> this is like in 2019. And he, I think he died like right after he sent that message to me. No, I, like, that was one of the, he was on death's door, but he, he was on death's door. One of his goals in life was to get in contact with Scott Disick from the Kardashian garbage show. I mean, and every now and every now and then he'd be on the news for like losing his house in Malibu and having to like sell all of his stuff. He wasn't doing great. It just, it just goes to show you like, Oh no, you gotta, was, the bucks weren't pouring in anymore. <laughs> no, he should have invested it. Like whatever, Howie Mandel or, you know, Byron Allen, those guys did good shit with their money. Yeah, apparently, he, he, Byron Allen's a billionaire. Right. Well, and because he had that worst show ever with comedians on it that like, what did Byron Allen ever do? Like, I think he was, he was like the youngest guy on the tonight show at some point, I want to say, or he, and then he wrote for like Jimmy Walker yeah. when he was like a kid. Cause Jimmy Walker was like this phenom from good times. And he didn't really have, he just act. had dynamite. That was he his, had dynamite that was his and he was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he kind of faded after good times. And I remember one time I got a one time. Rolling Stone had a <laughs> Rolling Stone magazine had this thing that was like, here's every here's every issue of Rolling Stone ever. And I it was like on these CDs. This is like 20 I, years I ago. I remember you that's some psycho thing you'd buy. Then read all of them. Yeah. I read, <laughs> I read all of them, but I read an article about like the first Eddie Murphy SNL, like Eddie Murphy's blowing up and they're like, it, like it talks about him going on stage. I think it was at the Hollywood improv and they're like, he's making them laugh so hard that they like, people cannot breathe. Like, and he's just riffing. Right. And then it says like, will he go on to stardom or will he be the next Jimmy Walker? Like it, and it was like just so fucking crazy to read that somebody being like, he could be the next Jimmy Wa Eddie Murphy, like arguably <laughs> the most successful stand-up comedian of all time. Might be the next Jimmy JJ Walker. You never know. This guy might have the stuff. Yeah. No, Eddie Murphy's delirious and raw are two of the most perfect. Are, there's some things that don't uh, hold up to societal standards in those a lot, but the delivery and the joke craftsmanship and his charisma is unbeatable. But Jimmy Walker could have been, I mean, uh, JB smooth, I guess like who's similar to Jimmy Walker. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, not even Martin Lawrence, Martin Lawrence was like, way handsomer 
Right. JJ was was supposed to be lanky and thought he was a hot guy, but and he was just crazy looking. So it was him. I I just read a. I'm dying up here. Read it. I listened to it in the car because uh, people were comparing my book to it, and so I listened to it, and I knew most of the stuff from. Um, but it was still interesting to. It's a great book. It's a great book. Jimmy talking Walker, about Jimmy Walker and Freddie that. Prince Senior. <laughs> Jimmy Walker's and yeah, because Jimmy Walker was the first person to kind of pop from the comedy store. Like so, when they got that the 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 comedy store had like uh, it was just the front showroom. That's all it was. And then she got the like next to it was just like this abandoned thing. Like the you know the the big room the right. the main room right because there's the main room the original room and the belly room the belly room is where they used to have belly dancers at Ciro's nightclub and so Mitzi Shore made it women only and then the the main room was supposed to be like a Vegas style room for like people who'd come in from Vegas like Rickles and they paid those guys but not the locals but Jimmy Walker was the first person on the marquee for the and it sold out. And so that he made the comedy store. Jimmy Walker's popularity in the 70s. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Go up and do five, close with dynamite, and yeah. give me my money. Yes. I mean, I think about how many people were watching Good Times. So you put, you slap Jimmy Walker on the marquee at your place and on the Sunset Strip. And yeah. And then Freddie Prince Sr. was like on Chico and the Man. <laughs> right. Well, you hear about all this and it. And he's and he didn't even say dynamite. He said he would go. It's not my job, man. <laughs> right. It all may all this stuff makes me feel like better that I won't ever have to turn into that. I'll just be forgotten over um, the next five to ten years, and I'll just really probably disappear, <laughs> and I won't ever like. Did you see Burns? He's sixty-seven up there. Doing scent lock jokes <laughs> in his jean oh. jacket. Oh man, scent lock is a good one. <laughs> you got scent lock. He turned super racist when it really left turn. And I mean, no one's stopping you from standing outside a theater in Portland with Frito bags. <laughs> I don't want to do that. In fairness, people probably wanted those Frito bags. People still ask me. You should start doing stand up again. I don't want to do that. I got it all. I got the poison out of me. I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> it was a have to do. I'm sure it's still a have to do for you. Like you I have was the anxiety to, that you know you have a show and you have to do it. I was talking to Brad Wenzel about you and Pop the other day. He came and did uh, my Fable show and he goes, The difference is um, Burns doesn't want to do stand up, Pop does. <laughs> right yeah they were saying like i was like burns lives right next to a place that does stand-up comedy you can see it out of his window and then and did you i don't know if he met you or he just knows about you from from other other michiganders brad wenzel he's done conan like three times he's fucking hilarious i probably met him i don't yeah. you meet everybody yeah he's a great comedian out of detroit um who I think looks up to pop and definitely has been told and knows who you are from your various uh, dabblings. I just, I think it's a, it's a drug thing. Like 
I don't want to do heroin anymore because I haven't done heroin for so long. I don't think about it. I've never done. I mean, they heroin. asked Bill. They asked Bill Withers why he doesn't put out albums anymore, and he said, "I lost my desire to show off." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Bill. Bill Withers did like. I mean that that one album with him like with a lunchbox. Ooh, lovely that day shit on is it. Fucking yeah, yeah. Uh, Grandma's hands, um, sweet Manoni. What is that one? And then. Uh, uh yeah he's got nothing but hits right yeah that's just like yeah i don't i guess that's a good analogy i just i don't want to show off anymore i like doing this from my home well how many comedians are in their like 50s and 60s like people quit because it's exhausting it will kill you you have to find something else like i'll be done with this show in the next half hour and, <laughs> and then I'll go about my day. I won't have this. Uh, I gotta edit, yeah. uh, edit this, and then I gotta go drive to Livonia and uh, do a half hour. What's my set gonna be? And that's your whole day. I think some people are better at. Compart- I still like it, but I'm doing more behind the scenes stuff now. Sure, I think that some people they are better at compartmentalizing their performances where they can go off and have a regular day in in between before they have their set at night. And I could never do that. It was all consuming and that's all I thought about. I couldn't like enjoy going to the grocery store or the gym or anything. Oh, it registers as trauma for a lot of people. It's like this thing. And it's like, and it's like you feel it in the pit of your stomach. I gotta go, yes. fucking, yeah. Like, yeah. and for me, and it's for like, me, I gotta it's jerk just off. like I've got to jerk off, and I can't yet. I gotta wait until later. For me, it's like I've done well. I don't question if I can do well. I I don't know if this set's gonna go well, and if it doesn't, I'll turn on the audience. That's a fun thing for me. Is to <laughs> right. is, is to playfully tell them they're stupid and bad. My, that and, was my uh, bread and butter was not being afraid, and I ain't afraid yeah, just of like, you, motherfuckers. When I when I I manage like a comedy theater now, and I tell the tech people like the more you know, the more you can tell them no, like. Last night there was like major tech issues, and I said the only thing I would have done differently is when you know this. He asked the John, or I guess I shouldn't say who it is. <laughs> they, this guy asked for keynote so he could run a thing, and we don't have a computer new enough to run it. And he's like, "Well, I need it." And they so they went to someone's girlfriend, got their computer, and ran keynote like PowerPoint for this uh for this show and it crashed and he and he got furious because <laughs> that's all he had once that's gone because that's all he had and i said the only thing i would have done differently is told him sorry this is what we have and then now it's not on you to go fucking figure it out this is what we have <laughs> it's not a if you want a broadway level production of cats fuck off like this is what we have. It's a comedy theater. Did you start by doing keynote presentations, motherfucker? No, this is what we have. You don't like it. Hit the bricks. Like, and I, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't even know why I started talking about that, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I had, 
Oh, I, the more you the more you know, the more you can say no. So I encourage them to learn as much as possible instead of like because when I was new and people were like, can I do this? I'm like, oh, let me check. If you know the answer, you can go don't have it. And then they'll go, OK, if you tell like so a stand up, the more you do it and the more that, you know, quote unquote, the more you can tell the audience to fuck themselves. And they'll go, yeah, we should fuck ourselves and, and get on board. <laughs> I did the Chicago Sketch Festival with 80s Clown, who was my straight man in, in, in the real good, in town. real good turbo uh, duo. And I had to do, I, don't, I had like a bunch of short films that I had burned on DVDs that they were supposed to play as bumpers in between sketch out, uh, blackout sketches. And all the dvds they couldn't play on like whatever dvd player they had it was not the right format or whatever oh. and they wouldn't play and so it's a nightmare like this oh. is a full this is a full house of people in a festival and yeah. i'm up there with 80s clown who is smoking cigarettes on stage and not saying anything and is probably trashed and yeah. i have to so I just do. I just pick up the microphone. I'm like, "Fuck this!" And I did yeah. a half hour of stand up, and that's it. And then I just you, that was my half yeah. hour show. And because I had that in my pocket, it was a really uh, like revealing thing for me that you can always just do this. Like, yeah, if you know, if your brain has the stuff in it, all you need is a microphone. Otherwise, it would have been a complete disaster. It would have been <laughs> the absolute worst thing ever. But then it was still, you know, I had a decent half hour. And yeah. the audience just, oh, they just kind of forgot what the fucking show was because they didn't yeah. know. So, but yeah, it's, it's, like, um, I could still do that now. Like, I have people I talk to and, like, you, st- like, people are shocked when you go to a, live in a small town and you, tell them anything about any of this they're like you so you used to go up in front of on stage i'm like yeah could could you like i couldn't talk in front of uh you know 10 people right now i would lose my like you could put you could bring in 300 people into this room and give me a microphone and i could sit there and talk in front of them with no nerves i would just they're like what would you talk about they're like ask me what this show is about i'm like i don't know until we start talking i could just talk i just talk about you trust you trust yourself yeah you trust yourself to do it right you're not thinking about it i remember in vegas it might have been the year that we were in vegas or it might have been the year after unsure but i was at a casino and there was a family there i said um Hey, I was wearing the lanyard probably, and I and the guy goes, "You're one of the comedians," and I, he was like so impressed by it. He and his wife, and I, it came up like, "Where are you from?" And they're like, "We're from Alaska." And I go, "Oh," and this was like two it, Sarah Palin time, so it was like 2008 probably. And I go, "Are you from Wasilla?" Because that's where Sarah Palin's family was from, and they said yes, actually. And I made them show me their IDs. They were from Wasilla, Alaska. This, And I said, do you know the Palins? And they're like, everybody knows the Palins. And I was like, holy shit. And I, they were like, looked at me like I was like, I had two heads. And they were like, but it's not interesting that we're from here. It's interesting that you do stand-up comedy. <laughs> and it's like, right. no, but 
no, you know somebody who's like world famous right now. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're like, yeah, who cares? That's just where <laughs> we're from. Anyway, it was, yeah, it was interesting yeah. to, to be like, I forgot that it's a weird job and thing that we all tried to do. So let's talk about your book is bringing in some people that are not all pleased with possibly their involvement in the book, et cetera, et cetera. I should and say a lot of people are happy with it. A lot of people like their involvement. In it. And you're, you're getting to uh, experience that there is no free lunch. Um, no, I do want to say, I did, I did want to say and make this very clear what you're seeing right now. You have a lot of fun successes that are going to continue to come from this book, but you're seeing what happens when you just focus on something really hard and put in a lot of hard work sometimes, and usually something good comes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about this the other day. Like you, you send me like, you'll have these little interviews with newspapers, etc. And like, yeah, this is what happens when you really work hard on something. And then for a second, it made me feel bad. Like, what did I do in the last year that like, well, you know, you, don't have to you and then it started to give me that anxiety of like I gotta do like write a movie or something I'm like no you don't want to do that <laughs> yeah like blurs for blurs like we worked hard on that for like three months and then we got two years worth of stuff from it <laughs> right so I think the in like the dad boner stuff or even this podcast yeah you just do something that you're pretty certain is good and you do a whole bunch of it. And then that's the, you can't just jump from thing to thing. (laughs) You can't. You need to figure out the thing that you want to do. Then you need to realize nobody's going to ask you to do it. No, (laughs) don't wait around to be picked. If you're waiting around to be picked, you're never going to be picked. If you want something, you can just start doing it. You can just start fucking doing it. And, <laughs> right. And, and nobody's going to be like, hey, you shouldn't do that. And if they do, fuck them. You can, <laughs> you, they don't have any right to tell you not, not to do it. It's all made up. Everything is fucking stupid and made up. And <laughs> we all just, we all just agree that certain institutions like are in charge or certain people know more. It's all stupid and made up. And the more that we, like, again, the more that you know, the more that you can say no. So fucking go do whatever the fuck you want to do. And if people are like, hey, you shouldn't do that, then they're they're not somebody you ever have to listen to for anything ever. No, I'm very. Um, and, not, and I'm not just talking about the book, I, but in the book. The book is about the Chicago comedy scene when there was no Chicago comedy scene, when. Uh, all of the clubs closed and people like uh, Mark Geary, who I dedicate the book to, who currently runs the Lincoln Lodge Theater that we, Burns and I talk about all the time, just started doing it. He just started doing it. Nobody was like, please, the city is calling for you. Like, right. no. he just did it. I want to. And do he this. did it. Yeah. And he did it for he's done it for like 30 fucking years. Right. No, it's. um. People that do things like that, and if you're not supportive of them and you're 
you're they're your friend. <laughs> like uh, it's very easy for me to cut people off. People who don't show any loyalty or don't show any supportiveness towards me. Fuck you. I don't give a fuck what you go off and do. You uh, you didn't like my nice thing. So and I believed in it. <laughs> so beat it. Yeah, it, I mean, I when you whenever you do make something, you do also put yourself out there and and, you know. No, not everybody's going to anything there's risk involved anything, but there's reward involved anything that you have to put yourself into is a huge risk that you are going to take the brunt of something at, at the end of it but if you but don't if you, if you don't some, if, if you, you don't love take, something if you don't take risks then you don't get anything that come with risks you just get the median you get the middle yeah i i moved across the country to Los Angeles with no job and nowhere to live. <laughs> I made a impulse decision and moved to cro- moved from New York to live on your love seat with two suitcases and absolutely no um leads or job no. or anything. No. I mean those are all risks and there were rewards, but there's also like regular people who didn't run away with the circus, like got to have like families and <laughs> right. And, and mortgages, 401ks and houses yeah. that we can no longer <laughs> that are never be able so, to be purchased. So yeah, there's, there's risk involved, you know, and I would encourage you to go to the power moves, Patreon. You can uh, help support, <laughs> help support my lifelong risk. <laughs> I see no money from it, but I don't ask for any because I support <laughs> my friend Mike Burns. I've offered you money. We'll discuss that. Can't, can't take. <laughs> can't take this. Wait, you have paid me, haven't you? I can't remember. I paid you here and there. Yeah, yeah. He pays me in kisses. <laughs> kisses through the screen. Off, yeah. off, can off, off audio, off camera. He pays me. He keeps saying this. He keeps saying this is an opportunity. Brado is paid an opportunity. And uh, <laughs> I show you my a halfy. I'll give you a half. I'll show you a halfy. Not, not the full. I don't want you to see the whole thing, but I'll show you. He pays me in halfies. <laughs> Look at that. You can see where this is going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's always. And I want. I want to be paid in smash trash cans. If you want to, yeah. If you want to send a dick pic, you always send a halfy. It's got to be consensual, of course. But you send a halfy that way. You know. You don't see where it started. You don't see where it's going. But, you know, right in the sweet spot. It's nice and safe. Yeah. Yeah. R- real smooth neck. Smooth that <laughs> neck out. Use the filter. Use the use a filter. Use the, use the smooth neck filter for that, sm- <laughs> for that smooth neck that you got wasting away down there. Please Photoshop out that um, that that razor bump on your shaft. <laughs> But the but but the behind the scenes stuff that we were talking about, like the the tech issues and everything, like I have you watched the Al Snow OVW show on Netflix yet? No. Oh my god, it's so wonderful. I know that we, but I like. Oh my god, he runs OVW out of Louisville, Al Snow, which is like where John Cena and Batista and Randy Orton and like it was like the developmental league for WWE for the longest time. Mm-hmm. 
it has a reality kind of docu series. No, it sounds on good. Netflix. It's it's fucking great. But yeah, every, he's backstage like running the show. He's like the teacher guy. He's like, it seems like more fun than actually going out there and wrestling. Probably more fulfilling. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes, I, yeah. Sometimes I feel like uh, the book that I wrote made me slowly turn into Mark Geary. Because as I was writing about people like Mark Geary or like Dave Odd, Dave Odd got ostracized by the scene and wanted to do stand up comedy. So he started seven shows a week at all times, sometimes 10 shows a week. And I was like, man, I can't, after COVID was over, I was like, man, I can't go up as much as I want to. And I was like, what would Dave Odd do? What would Mark Geary do? Not everything. I didn't do everything Dave would do, but you know, <laughs> made, but you made your own, made your own lane, paved your own highway. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy, that guy, Al Snow just wants to, you know, he just wants to be in wrestling. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing. Right. I still work in comedy kind of. It's- yeah. Or like Mike Vec, like in that, um, which I watched last night also the, the son of Bill Vec, the baseball promoter. Yes. Like, that guy just like he just wants to do cool stuff and get people to baseball games. That guy's amazing. It's very good. What's the name yeah. of that show? Because that's that was my uh, that was my oh uh, god second chances same of second chances or something. Yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah, that's my show of the week. Well, it's a spoiler alert. <laughs> it's very good. And yeah, it's got, behind the scenes stuff. And it's it's like a, if if yeah, it's go got a ton of Steve Dahl in it. Oh my god, I. I I pointed at the the TV and I go Burns used to work for him, and Victoria was like, "It's kind of racist." And I go and homophobic, <laughs> and a lot of things, and a glutton. Yeah, I, I, that gave me slight PTSD watching that because I I was his writer for a, over a year. I wrote like all the bumpers. I wrote a bunch of little that's plays amazing. For him. That's, I wrote parody songs. I was on the radio. That's an amazing, in Chicago, an amazing. Bunch. That is an amazing nugget of information that I always forget. It's a weird thing. And I just like. So you met him and like, if you said hi to him, he'd be like, hi, Mike Burns. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very around. I was in the studio every day. That's kind of a dream job. But I started out as an intern. Okay. So this guy, how do we explain this guy? He's the Howard Stern of Chicago. He's the precursor to Howard Stern. Howard Stern. He's Don Imus, but Chicago steals a bunch from and he's huge and he eventually gets syndicated in Detroit and Chicago and he's making about a million dollars a year, which is a fuckload to be on the radio. And that's well, that's what he made when I when I um, worked for him. I remember the contract coming out and it was just mind blowing that he got this million dollar contract and he just kind of hung out on the radio with. Two real simpleton co-hosts, yeah. and then I yeah. wrote some crap, and then I started out as an intern, and then started to do stuff on my own. I would stay after in the studio, make a producer stay after, and I would cut a parody song, like Eminem parody song that was about him, or Dr. Dre songs, or what what have you, and. He liked them, and then he started to pay me. He's like, okay, you don't have to go like get lunch or whatever anymore. But when I was an intern, this I remembered this. He was on Atkins, uh-huh. so I would, I would go to Taco Bell for him, 
and I would get him lunch and he would get like eight soft tacos with no shells. Oh, <laughs> so, so he, just slop, just sloppy like wrappers with just the meat, cheese and lettuce in it in oh the wrapper God. and fold it up. And then he would like, oh. just shovel it in with a spork. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god 300 pound guy just shoveling in taco bell fillings from rappers and it was just it like uh, oh god just give me a an envelope filled with chili like that's so <laughs> gross and this is when he's cleaned up he was previously an alcoholic and he would come in and sometimes do the show from his office on the floor with a bottle of Jack Daniels. And Good God. Yeah, he turned into like a real mess. And then when you see him on that, on um, Saints of Second Chances, he's just like, oh, this guy is a wiener. This guy is a... <laughs> yeah, that's always like... Chubby little whenever... ugly wiener who's like mad at the world. And that's what shock jock radios were. He must have sounded good. Right, and then like they people must have been disappointed when they saw him, like because he just Bowl he just cut. looks like a yeah slobby, like he just looks like oh like you wouldn't like you you would hate him if you met him. You know what I mean? Like so he must oh. have sounded good. Not a likable man. Not likable in the least. Always man, I bad. To Steve Dahl, crabs. Like, his. Then his son would go on, and his son was like a Nepo baby for sure. And his son's show was like, I was like, I would get mad at it. I'd be like, what is this? So bad. Why is it? So bad. It could have gave it to me. He fired me because he gave me a, he was like, hey, you know about vinyl. Can you take get rid of all these? I'm cleaning out my office. And he gave me like a 300 junk albums, just albums that are just you know, that you see at Goodwill, like old crap that nothing like, there's no like Ario Speedwagon in there. No, like, oh, this is an old Beatles record or old Metallica. It was just like, like some Herb Alpert Columbia house garbage that yeah. was all scratched up and no one wanted them. And he, I was like, I told him I'd do it as a favor. Drove around to all these record stores in Chicago parking in chicago carrying in this shit having them be like what the fuck of course we don't want this so eventually i'm like i went to every fucking record store brought it back to him and then he was in a pissy mood one day and he fired me and like three other people on the air while i'm i wasn't in the studio that day i was listening to the show and i was keeping a log of what went on during the show and i was just like and, and i i still remember it was and that Mike guy, he's fired too. And I was like, what the fuck did I do? And he's like, hey, wait, I wanted, told him to sell these records and he, no one wanted to buy them. I'm like, what the fuck? So I call his assistant. I'm like, is he serious? And he's like, yeah, he's in a real mood. I'm like, oh, that's how the entertainment business works. <sighs> See, someone's in a real mood and they just fire you from your job on a whim on the show and never talk it's, to you again. I think that the next wave of me too kind of or like class based employment issues that comes up are going to be the way that celebrities treat their assistants and everybody else yeah because didn't i that, think that there's some that's a real epidemic of people just being pieces of shit 
Didn't that Jimmy Fallon stuff already come out? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there should be more of it. Like I was talking to a writer. How do I say this without giving it away? Because I don't think that he wants me to blow up his spot. I have a friend who wrote for a prominent talk show. And I said, he's told me that everybody who is a celebrity is immensely talented, but also like a complete asshole. And when people would ask him like, oh man, you work for so-and-so, are they nice? He would say, he's hilarious because he's not nice. The thing that drives him to success in his field is also a thing that makes him like a piece of shit. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's... They're very few and far between. Do you hear about someone who has risen to the fucking top? Cream rises. That is not a complete asshole. <laughs> yeah, they teach. Do you think that they, like, um, what's his name? James. James English guy. The talk show host. James Corden. Talk show. James Corden. James Corden. Think that yeah. guy is like a there's all kinds of allegations that he treats wait staff like shit and he's a real fucking prick. Yeah. That guy was never funny and he was never like I don't know why people liked him, but they did or they didn't and they just kept him on TV. There's a lot of people like that, like, who fucking likes this guy? Yeah. Like that I guy, was I was like, why did this guy of all the American comedians? that exist and all the women comedians who exist and all of the people have called you hired a British fat nobody guy who's not funny. Yeah, it was. um, I always think about when he, I don't like Bill Maher, but like, I always think about when he's like, you have gone against me for being fat, Bill Maher. Well, fat people are people too, Bill Maher. (laughs) And it's like, and it's like, shut the fuck up. I don't like Bill Maher, but I want to, and it's a pro. It's his fault. I I want to like him because I like a lot of his political viewpoints, and I like that he kind of plays both sides, and he's like challenges things, and I find that interesting. There's I, no way that he's a good person. No, <laughs> and, and I want to, and I want to be clear. I was not talking about anybody that worked for Bill Maher because there's somebody that we're very close with that no, works no, for no, Bill Maher. No, no I, I watch it occasionally, and I watched his um his podcast where he smokes weed with somebody, but he just seems like such a wiener. Just, you couldn't have lunch with him. It would just be, yeah, well, you know, this is here. No, come on. It feels weird, but yeah, he held on to trying to be cool for like way too long. Like it's, it's, I don't know why he can't admit like, Maybe he doesn't have all the answers anymore. Maybe maybe the culture has shifted beneath him in a way that he doesn't understand because nobody's treated him like a regular person since <laughs> since yeah, being, 1988. Being a rogue renegade really loses its shine when you're like 72. Like uh, you you're still mad? Like maybe maybe you should have chilled out by now. <laughs> you know, life's passing you by. Right. His big thing was like pot should be legal. Okay. Like, and your big thing is that you're a pothead. Like, okay. It's like having a beer poster in your 
in your bedroom when you're 25. Like he's also a PETA guy, which that just screams crazy. <laughs> That's too. It's an extremism. Like I forgot he. I forgot he was a PETA guy. Yeah, he's like you see, and then once in a while he'll slip it in like. Well, Peter, I'm a member. Like, oh, I you think you're listen, better man, than everyone. In that in that baseball documentary, that pig jumps around like a dog on the field. It made me go, oh my god, that pig looks so happy. The pig's like doing the the dog dance in the grass, and I was just like, fuck, man. Like, you couldn't you wouldn't eat those things if you saw them dancing around out there. I don't eat pigs. I eat bacon. It comes pre. I don't know anything about the pig. I don't know that guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. But and by the way, what's up pigs? I hope you dance. You um can we talk about the uh, interaction with the other podcast host that that he made it I public. Mean, he, he he put it out there. He didn't say my name, so maybe we shouldn't say his name. But this guy is always I'll saying, say it. well, okay. It's Mark Marin. Yeah. It was he not, didn't like his portrayal. He didn't not like his portrayal. happy with his portrayal in Brido's book The Perfect Amount of Wrong which you can read. Yeah, he's one of several that are, but he put it out in public. So he didn't like, he thought I didn't reach out to him through the proper channels because he his whole thing was like, he didn't reach out to me. How hard am I to get a hold of? Probably pretty difficult. You're all super famous and must get a bazillion messages. And so I was like, I did message you. He's like, well, I get a lot of messages. Like, I have management. I have. You just said pro- you said it wasn't hard, and now you're saying it is hard. I so it's just like he just wants to be mad about what I said, even though what I said wasn't wrong. Like he wasn't denying like what I said. It was just that I think that it just exists. And like I, I like Mark Marin. I, I don't know. Like it sucks that he's upset about it, but it's also like so people are just going to be upset. I guess. Like I don't know. Like. Yeah, he's always so, he's yeah. always a nice guy to me, but he's his whole persona is being mad at stuff. There's no way he'd be Yeah, like, like I I um if I would have gone through the proper channels, hi, I'm fucking nobody. I'm writing a book. <laughs> my other books include no books cuz I have none. And my publisher, their name is Don't Have One Yet. Can I talk to Mark about uh, his last coke bender in Chicago in 2000? <laughs> oh, I can't. Like it's there's no way that they would have that he would have well you like, were talked to publisher of Smooth Neck magazine you did that and as the publisher Rock of Vayner you published that you could put that in the email <laughs> publisher yeah. of um, Power Moves Productions and Smooth Neck I sent him a I sent him an early copy of it hoping to get on the show and because he even mentioned it like we maybe we should talk about it on the show and then he um. Sat there he and started, got steamed. He overthought he got, it and got steamed. He got he got a little upset. About I'm an it. overthinker. I, I understand, but he, he overthought it yeah. and got steamed. There was no like yeah, good he, way out of it. Well, the the thing was like he and the guy who is in the chapter about like they said I got it wrong and that somebody that I said was there wasn't really there, and it's like. I went back to some of the other people. I was like, this guy's saying that. And they're like, yeah, we were there. And so then the guy who's friends with Marin, who was mad, like, I didn't know how to respond to him because like he, Marin had read him over the phone. What I wrote, 
and so that he was mad about it like this is what you have time for you don't like you need a fantasy football league or something i think that these strike these strikes need to end yeah that's probably it like i didn't know how to respond to it because he was getting it wrong what i said like i but then he realized that i that he was misremembering the name of somebody and i don't know i think it's i think I think everything is fine. But the, the story is uh, about like some drug bender. So yeah. So this guy how gets. How accurate guy... is what your memory of this is? Maybe it's the memory of someone who was not on the eight ball bender that maybe remembers it a little bit better than you do. And and listen, like I thought, Marin was like an open book about this stuff. Like I wasn't trying to embarrass him at all with the story like yeah, i thought he, seems he was like kind an of, open book i feel like he's talked about this kind of uh, drug abuse etc in at length in in on stage and on his show i mean there's no- and this wasn't uh my story like this is a story that was told to me by so many people and i edited out stuff that like other people had said he went on he went like he had his last coke bender at the chicago comedy festival with one of the comedians um, and they all kind of like thought it was cool that they saw it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, like he's holed up in a hotel room with this other comedian who just got this development deal and they're like doing Coke. And so like young comics are going into the room and they're just sitting there like ripping on them for how like their alt comedy is never going to get them anywhere. And so people were just like insulted by him, but like, it's he's like a major celebrity now. And so people are like, yeah, then this happened. And they, they're kind of laughing about it now. Kind of like, yeah, it was like he was so mad at me, like for my anti-comedy. You know? <laughs> I, I love that. Of all the naughty stuff me and you did, there's really no like really bad stories <laughs> that, that that I would ever be like, whoa, you don't tell that. It's just like, yeah, Burns had five uh, bullet rise and then um 12 bud lights and then he made out with a waitress in the middle of the bar <laughs> like well yeah it's fine <laughs> i mean the, the the point of the book was to celebrate this scene and that's so it's just like one it's like a tragic thing that happened this guy got a development deal they he was going to be the next big thing then they brought him back the following year to kind of parade him around as like this is what hap- can happen to you if you play your cards right. This guy is a success story in the scene. And he had got, developed this like massive drug habit. And so he was the exact wrong person to send. So it was kind of like perfect amount of wrong. The festival was I mean, the scene wasn't ready for its close up is how I put it. You know, right. Yeah. No, totally understandable. And uh, yeah, he. I don't think he's. I don't think he's mad. I think that he. I I, th- I don't think he likes it, and I think that he. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't he, know him well he, enough I to. I think he to, need, like, needed something to complain about for a couple hours because he was bored on a fucking weekday. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, he he started by giving me detail. He said like details that I didn't have, and then I, he got like more and more accusatory the more we talked and i was just like <laughs> and i sent him like a long thing and i was like listen man like i like like i you're like a legend like i don't 
I come in peace. It's just a story. It's just a dumb story. It's like maybe it's not. It doesn't portray you in any better light if it was accurate by your standards, as opposed to no, what quite, someone, it'd be the same story, just like some factual stuff would be different. It doesn't fucking matter. Quite frankly, if I don't like you, you're not in the book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like there's stories and I if I didn't know the person, but they were like integral to the story. I tried to be fair to that person because I don't know them. It, or, or, and if I didn't talk to the person, like if I didn't talk to the guy who got the development deal, like I wouldn't have included. Anyway, there's plenty of people who also enjoy the book. I will say that who uh, who, who are mentioned, who are over the moon about it. Oh, people are very excited about it and they should be. And if you're if you're mad, I'm not, I can't wait for I'm going to read it and then. You'll start getting the same things from me. What the fuck? This isn't what I said. <laughs> Fucking piece of shit. By the way, in the dedication, I say that there should be a statue of Mark Geary uh, at the at the intersection of the old Lincoln Lodge, like right there at North Center. I think he should be on a ladder with a scowl on his face. And I and I brought that up to Marty DeRosa, comedian, great comedian, still in Chicago, like a year ago when we were all there. And he goes, I agree with you, but only if actual Mark Geary has to tear the statue down every night, put it in storage, and put it back up every morning. <laughs> complaining the whole time. <laughs> and Mark Geary published, or he posted on Facebook that like dedication and like thanking me. And this guy that invested and bought, like he, you know, he bankrolled the Lincoln Lodge, messaged me this morning and was like, Let's do the statue. <laughs> so it's, great. So, it's so great. Just rolled out uh, there on a wheelie cart. You got to take it all yeah. the way to the back of the bar every night. Yeah. He's <laughs> like I, a thousand pounds. This guy, this big money investor. And he was like, here's who I am. And I was like, well, I know who you are. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, the guy that bankrolled the Lincoln Lodge into being a theater wants to do the statue of Geary now, which I love. Well, it's a wonderful place. It's um, it is the best comedy venue in Chicago, and if you go to Chicago, please go visit the Lincoln Lodge and see a show. Brido, when are you there this week? I'm there Saturday, but I'll probably be there. I'm staying at Mark, so I'll probably be there other nights. But um, let's see. So Friday, I'm on WGN in the morning, and then I'm doing a book signing at Volumes Book Cafe. That's like on Milwaukee, but I think like in Bucktown. And then uh, Saturday the 30th, so today is the 27th. Really looking forward to the weekend, by the way, you guys. The 30th, uh, 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. show. The 2 p.m. is a panel. It's a friends of show. CJ Sullivan will be there. Um, Renee Godier will be there. Jared Logan will be there. Um, and then for the stand-up show, we're adding Adam Burke, Sean Flannery, and then the people I named. Um, yeah, it should be in, in maybe some other surprises. Should be should be a great time. Very exciting. I'd be there, but I'm a bad friend. <laughs> Why don't you, you can still come. Stay at Marks. Zip on over. Zip on over. Stay, Zip on stay over. At Marks. Let's do some power tube. I already spoiled. My, uh, I did too. But I'll talk week. about it again. Saying a second chances, it's great. If you're a sports guy, you like sports docs, like I'm always hungry for one. 
And I get that yeah. that serotonin dopamine hit when I see something that I know I will like, and then it starts going, and I'm hooked into it. And it has such a good roller coaster ride of White Sox, uh, White Sox beginnings, and then it starts to go into like minor league territory, and you learn a whole bunch. It's great. There's stuff in there that I didn't know, and I I loved it so much that I was surprised at how much I learned and how much I loved it. Like I didn't know all of the minor league goofy giveaways were from Mike Vec. Like I didn't know he was in charge of disco demolition night. I didn't know that he had like made his dad look bad. I didn't know his dad had a peg leg or I had forgotten. Oh, no, it's crazy. And in the middle of the doc, I realized that Mike Vec is played in the act outs by Charlie day. Yes. Which because he's clean shaven, I didn't realize it until like, it just clicked like that's what the whole trailer of the whole thing Charlie like, day 33% of the whole th- of the mo- of the thing was gone. I was like, Oh my God, it's Charlie day this whole time. <laughs> and it's funny that they have Mike Vec play Bill Vec and then do little acting scenes playing himself and stuff. It's so funny. Yeah. It's a really, really fun sports doc. It's I laughed. I granted I was high, but I laughed so hard at nobody night. It's insane. They have nobody night where nobody's allowed to come to the game, but they have. And they had they had all the employees working. What kind of promo is that? It's just so stupid. All the food things are open, but there's no one there. I laughed so goddamn hard at nobody night. Nobody night. is so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great bit. It's great. It's great. Give and it a he watch. looks so happy. He looks so happy to be telling you these stories and stuff. Like, and boy, he looks fun to drink with. Right. I'm he, not gonna. He's one of those guys. Like, he probably could have, if he was a major league baseball manager, GM, etc. His life would have been so stressful at all times. Like, oh my god, every day I love my job, but I want to kill myself. Instead, he just had he chose something in his profession that brought him joy and still does. It's very inspiring. Like just don't get greedy. I think is the rule there. And Mike, please no more fireworks. (laughs) So it's like the one part about it that I thought was weird. And I wanted your take on this. They were like Bill Vec, the guy who owned at least I think that his dad owned the Cubs. I think that he owned the St. Louis Browns at some point, or he tried to buy the Phillies and then he owned um, the White Sox. Like they're like, he wasn't rich. He was like the last of the owners who wasn't rich. Right. It was just like, it it was like buying a bunch of, buying up a bunch of grocery stores or something. Then (laughs) they weren't like super profitable. Maybe you just lost all your money. Now all sports teams are like worth a minimum like three billion dollars. Even the shit. Yeah, it's ones. it's wild. Like, and but I saw his house. Like they show his house, and he has nine kids, and he lives in this mansion. I'm like, if that's not rich, then I am like, I don't know what rich is. Well, I mean, it might be one of those situations where it's all borrowed against the ownership of those teams. But if he were to actually oh. lose the teams, they would just he would be completely broke. And then Mike Vec can just roll into St. Paul, Minnesota and buy a beautiful Victorian home. 
Well, maybe he bought it before this housing crisis. <laughs> maybe he bought it a long, like a long time ago. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like they're acting like, oh, we didn't have any money. We lived in this old house. It's like, dude, that looks like a big ass house to me. <laughs> house, maybe, housing. My crisis. dad. My dad didn't own any baseball teams. <laughs> housing. Even like the. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but even the like cheap. Dumpy, bad neighborhood houses here are like eighty thousand dollars now, ninety thousand dollars when they were like twenty or thirty, like a couple of years ago. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know what's happening. Gouge. It's price gouging. It's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane how impossible it is I mean, for I, people to buy a house. If you had a house and you were selling it in Los Angeles, would you go under five hundred thousand dollars to be a good guy no or would you try to get <laughs> no you gouge it's you have to you have no choice yeah. oh no yeah. friend prices friend prices yeah yeah it should be 1.4 but i'll give it to you for seven hundred thousand. i think my parents bought their first house for like twelve thousand dollars <laughs> right i'm sure that's what mine was and i did look up what the house i grew up in when my parents sold it it was they sold it for like twenty eight thousand dollars in like 1994 and now it's like $92,000 in a rough neighborhood. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck happened? Nobody knows. No way to know. Let's do some power tunes. My song of the week is throw your arms around me by Neil Finn and Eddie better. Uh, it's great. But it's a, Oh, I, uh, I, I love must- finding like a song with Eddie Vedder on it that I haven't heard that I really like. It's a it's a daily play for me. So throw your arms around me by Neil Finn and Eddie Vedder. You can find that on your listening service of choice. Brad, do you have a song this week or is it going to be blurry by Puddle of Mud? Because once again, the NFL played that in almost every break and it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, you got to be kidding me. Are you oh back? hi! Oh, there you are. Yeah, my internet is unstable. I I pick all of my. I'll start this clean so you know we can timestamp it. I start. Wait. <laughs> I uh, all of my song choices are based off of Instagram reels now. So I will pick "Shimmy Shimmy Ya" by Old Dirty Bastard. <laughs> That's a good choice. Is it because Thank of the, the children singing it? There's the like that children school? singing it. I thought that that little white kid was like a good rapper. And then I was like, let's listen to the real thing, though. For some reason, whenever they there's a song, there's a version of a song where they all like play little kid instruments like proficiently. Like there's like a I think Jimmy Fallon does that. Yeah, I kind of do it. Like, I always enjoy it. I don't know if Mm -hmm. like what that is, but it's but there's a version going around of young white elementary school children singing shimmy shimmy yeah <laughs> by their by their um role model <laughs> old dirty <ODB>. bastard <laughs> yeah can we talk for the second about we're all used to that name now but goddamn, that was that guy's name <laughs> that was his only name no one called him by anything else it's not like sometimes you call him Sean Carter or whatever. It was just old dirty bastard. I couldn't tell you old dirt ODB's real name. Old dirty bastard. <laughs> that, he's like, like you need a name, and they're like, well, we call this guy the genius. Um, we call this guy you god. <laughs> <laughs> right. What do, 
What's your name? Old Dirty Bastard. The, uh, the thing from MTV with, with ODB, like riding around in a limo, picking up food stamps. <laughs> so great. Those were back in the day when like. That is old dirty the- bastard behavior. Any uh, Someone named old dirty bastard definitely still picks up food stamps while they ride around in a limo. It's a, I, I don't have any idea how much Wu-Tang would have had to split their profits. Like that is, you'll never see a rap group like that ever oh, no. again. No, that's why they all had solo records. <laughs> you had to, otherwise you're like 300 bucks for fucking yeah, Wu-Tang like, forever. What the fuck? <laughs> well, there's 72 of us. So I got a royalty check for my last album after a year of not being paid for it. And I recently saw like what you get per download on Spotify or whatever. I got a royalty check for $50. <laughs> now to number one, I know that it's not like what it, it went to number one in comedy. I threw away all of my old jokes <laughs> to build from scratch. That's this, what they were this worth. New hour, this new hour of material. A couple years of work and insane amount of bombing, of bombing and, and nights at the club and forcing spit, it instead of being existence. home with your wife watching TV, you got 50 yes. bucks. And I got 50. Someone's like, yeah, go suffer. And for $50, I would be like, no, so I started doing my old bits again for fun, if I feel like it. <laughs> yeah, because who fucking cares? Yeah. <laughs> I got the one. bits from like 2017 are like, either they won't work because nobody gets the references anymore. There's some that I can't do because they're wildly offensive. But you know what? Like, it's fun to tell the pulling the shit out of the toilet story again or every now and then. Or like the, <laughs> right. the story about throwing up on the same girl twice. Like, uh, <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's a good one. Yeah, there's old ass jokes like, uh, you know, uh, I've been doing um, going to South America with my dad and he goes, we find an Irish pub and he orders a pizza and the guy goes, he like a pizza. <laughs> I got one the other day for seven cents and you get this, you get this rush when you know it's a check and you're like, what the fuck is this? Open it up. Seven cents. I threw it in the trash. What was that for? The book? Uh, no, I think, I think it was like a, might've been like a blurred thing or something. Oh, mashup. Might've been like a mashup playing in that. 4 a.m. in Tokyo or something. What do you remind me? What you did on Mashup? I was in some like two things. I think I said a couple lines. I don't remember. Got it. it no, Got it, it. it might have been something. I forget. But I, it was a couple months ago. It was seven cents, and it like came to came to here because I've changed my address, and I was like, oh fuck, because you never know. You never know, and like, oh my god, here we yeah. fucked you yeah. over for all yeah. this money, and yeah. We owed you $17,000. Here's free $17,000. No, it's, <laughs> then you, you open got the it digital. And, yeah, uh, it's awful. And you open it and it's, oh my God. <laughs> so I think stupid. only tw- 20, 20% of SAG after members like, can afford or qualify for health care because they don't make the minimum. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're just giving them $200 every like six months. And people are it's, um, like, how long is this strike going to go on? It can't go on. Much the longer. writer's strike seems to be ending soon. 
And so maybe they'll the uh, that they came up with a tentative agreement or whatever. The acting thing, I don't know, because like we don't get paid shit. And they're like, you know, like digital, you don't paid shit. No, that. when you watch commercials now, it's all celebrities too. Yeah. It's just celebrities and then I don't know. Yeah, I'm in a commercial with a celebrity that plays overseas. I don't even know if it's on or not. No one's like, I saw you on that. I thought the other day, like, could I just scab? Could I just, like, write stuff for, for like, for Netflix? People are openly talking about that. Yeah, just like, there's no better time to not be in the union because people feel like, well, I didn't get fucking hired by... Right, I don't give a fuck. What am I... What? People I right. don't see anymore are going to be steamed or people I don't talk to are going to be mad at me <laughs> who fucking cares it's gotta work i'll take it i'll do it i'll fucking write for your tv show i'll be on your commercials i'll be in your, whatever you want pay me half they should do a thing where they just give everybody a million dollars and then like whatever you do writer, with it. <laughs> whatever you do and with then, it, and it's and up to you and then don't complain anymore what most people would do is take it and move back to the town that they're from and live like a king for the rest of their life. Like that's a hundred percent correct. And then they would open up new jobs for new people, unless they were a psycho and you wanted to keep doing it. Then, yeah, I think about that a lot. Like when I had peak money, if I would have just been like, "Well, I'm out," and just came back and did the thing I ended up doing in the first place, I could have fucking parlay that cash into so much stuff like i could have bought a house and oh you had to see though you had to let it ride you oh, had to go for gambling had to be... rambling gambling man i mean you i think about that fred savage thing a lot like um what if you had just done that <laughs> right maybe i should have or but, maybe that I mean, maybe i would have ended up having a drug problem and then Dead in a hotel room. If I would have done, uh, that. you yeah, never know what would, choices. Happiness. Right. Is who all knows? That Happiness. Is who knows? I sleep good. That, um, yeah. Who knows what's good or bad? I'm in a good sleep cycle. I um, complain about sleep a lot. I just the last like week or two, I've just I've slept good, and that's all I care about. Like, oh, when I get in bed, I'm gonna fall asleep, and I'm gonna sleep all night. That's what brings me joy. <laughs> like you That's slept good. for eight, nine hours. Wow. You feel good in the morning. <laughs> You're happy to go about your day. No I stress. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get through this hump. Please, if you have not, go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble if you are anti-Amazon and order yourself a copy of The Perfect Amount of Wrong written by your boy, Mike Bridenstine. I wish you the best of luck with your shows this week. You're going to have a lot Thank of fun you. going to Chicago. I see you got your Cubs hat on. You're all ready to go. I'm all ready to go. I'm, I'm in character. Get yourself a pot belly. Get yourself a Pequods. Get all the stuff. Really treat yourself. Oh, I'm going on a tour of Wrigley Field. I know uh, one of our one of my pals uh, got a tour guide job right at the same time I was working at the Dodger Stadium. So I was like, well, I got to do a Wrigley Field tour. Oh, you'll be so pumped. It all sounds yeah, yeah. wonderful for you. Very proud of you. I really am. I mean that with all sincerity. I think about your book a lot, and I think, oh, well, this is, this is well-deserved. This isn't, wasn't a free thing that was just given to you by you. This is all homegrown, and um, it's, uh, you know, there's 
is a big difference than when agents and managers did all the legwork for you and pushed it, but you did it all from your little Pee Wee's Playhouse there. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. All right, bud. Good program. I think I think everyone learned a lot about comedy today. This is really comedy centric, but I think it's apropos to uh, celebrate the release of your publication. We'll see. You. Kisses. I'll show you that halfy later. Ooh. Really looking forward to the weekend, you guys. Got football on TV. My girlfriend, she's sleazy. Favorite kind of beer is free. I'm just making power moves. Sipping some natty lights. Late nights and bar frights. Rocking the Winston lights. Just making power moves. Yeah, I'm making power moves. Just doing Detroit groove. All American dudes. Just making power moves. Yeah, I'm making power moves. Rocking a Detroit groove. Just some American dudes. I'm making power moves. I'm making power moves.